Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DustOrProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm dead. Got Birdie here. <laughs> Hi. And we'll get to that later in the show. <laughs> but yeah. Before that, though, I have a bunch of sports series to talk about because I haven't actually watched any anime since Darling of the Franks premiered. Uh, I I actually accidentally watched seven episodes of one of the new anime that I wasn't intending to. (laughs) So that'll be a nice contrast with that. Yeah, so far I've just been mainly focusing entirely on manga. Just reading stuff I have been Reading up till now, new chapter of Goblin Slayer came out, which was fucking great. Yeah, still really enjoy that. Yep, uh, but in the meantime, uh, aside from that, I've also just been diving into and finishing series. Just mm-hmm. random shit. And the I'm going to be talking about are all kind of sports-based. Kind of. Alright. Yeah, so the first one is called Boys on the Run. I have no idea what that is. It is a series about boxing from the writer of I Am a Hero. Okay, I remember hearing that this was a thing. I just didn't know what to think of it. It is a thing. And much like I Am a Hero, it doesn't actually get started into what the plot says it's about until, like, volume four. Of course. Yeah, so Boys on the Run is about a shit-ass motherfucker working at some stupid fucking company uh, deciding to go into boxing because a girl he was into and didn't really do anything about until she made a move then didn't do anything with them and started dating somebody else so it's like oh fuck this dude I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat him up because he fucking made you get an abortion because it's from the guy who made I am a hero So he goes, takes two boxing lessons from a drunk guy at his company, gets his ass beat to the point that he pees on himself, just like straight wets his pants so that the guy will stop trying to murder him in a children's playground, and then goes into a boxing gym where he starts a relationship with a teenage deaf girl, or at the very least, like, young college-age deaf girl, and... Then the rest of the series, the rest of the series is a build up to him fighting a disgraced former professional boxer, and him stopping a child from making bombs to blow up his classmates. Because again, it's from the guy who made I Am a Hero. Yeah, this thing, this this series does kind of like follow a something I kind of noticed in, or something I thought about I Am a Hero. Where this guy seems to mainly write stories that are like wish fulfillment for like 30-something Japanese businessmen. Sorry, not businessmen. Salarymen. There's yeah, that. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Also, yeah. I want to sum up the last two minutes with just one word. What? <laughs> yeah, that's this series is so goddamn weird. Like, I am so used to fucking sports series being the shonen model. Where it is... Yeah, no, or like... a. I think genre sports stuff tropes. Yeah, just you expect the tropes. Yeah, even the even ones like uh, 
well, the one I talked about, uh, All Rounder Meguru, which is about MMA. Yeah, MMA and nuclear disaster relief. Yeah. Aside from those, a couple of weird moments, it's still mostly stuck to the tropes. Yeah, which, like, the tropes are tropes because they work. And, like, deviating from those tropes is fine. Like, I'm going to be talking about... Okay, actually, nothing I've talked. Nothing we be talking about actually deviates from the from the fucking things. It's just that this is the sports, quote unquote, sports they talk about are a bit weird. But like the tropes, okay, work for the most part. Where it's just some fucking kid who hasn't really played, who isn't really like a member of this sport, but has like one fucking aspect of their personality or of their of themselves that make them fucking bomb ass at this goddamn sport. And then they slowly grow and until they are fucking champions or they retire because of horrible brain trauma. This isn't that. This is, let's watch this 35-year-old man get his ass fucking stomped until a fifth grader and a 21-year-old are like, yeah, he's all right. And it's so goddamn weird. I... He even says like a big a big portion a bit like you know kind of point in these fucking sports series is the point where the person playing the sport decides this is what I want to do with my life, and we actually reach that. There is a point, and I think like halfway through the series because it's done, it's over. Like halfway through the series where he actually begins training with the deaf girl and decides I want to be a professional boxer. Okay. The series never reaches that point. It doesn't even reach him like on the beginning steps. He never enters like a beginning tournament. He never actually has like a fight in the ring with somebody. He just he just gets in. So, so he so he has the emotional moment where he wants to be a professional boxer, but he never get, has that that fight that sort of symbolizes I'm there. Yeah, so to speak. He does. He never reaches the fucking starting line. Really, like he 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 like fills out the form to enter the race and then just stays and then just sleeps in when the race begins. Huh. Or I guess more okay. apt. I guess a more apt thing is that he gets into a bunch of fucking fist fights on the way to the race. Okay, because that's different. Yeah, there are two main fights that he kind of gets into. One is against the well, both of them are against the people who used to be involved with the ladies he is into. The first guy okay. he decides to fight because he has sex with this girl, impregnates her, and then sends money via his assistant to pay for the abortion. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to go fight you. Hey, drunk man at the office, teach me how to throw a punch. And then he pees on himself. And the second, and then the second fight is against the deaf girl's husband, who she married when she was 16. Who was a former professional boxer who, like, I think threw a fight or got, real, or got badly injured and then spent the rest of his life drinking and stealing her money. Well, yeah, that's what a reprobate drug drunken person does. Yeah, and then just leaves one day. Just yeah, I'm good. Bye. And then when he try, and then when she tries to divorce him for real, he comes back and beats the shit out of her current boyfriend. And then there's this kid, just this fucking little tiny dude with like monkey ears and a bowl cut, who one day makes a bomb. Just like, okay. yeah, he gets like one of those like capsule toy things. Is this like a recurring character in the story, or yeah, just he's, someone that they... he's the he is the deaf girl's translator. 
Okay. Yeah, he's kind of like one of the few people in the gym who knows like sign language. Cool. And it is built up as to why he's doing this. They constantly. I, get, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, we see him to get like horribly fucking bullied. His home life is the most cartoonish version of shit you can imagine. So, so Stephen King, evil, basically. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and so then he gets a fucking like capsule toy capsule, drills a hole in the top of it, fills it with gunpowder and nails, and puts a fuse in it. Okay. And then brings it to school for family day and is about to set it off until our main character, the deaf girl, run in and say, yo, we're his family. And that ends the series. That is a weird way to end a story. Yeah, and it's not actually that surprising because if you read like the ending of I Am a Hero, it is fucking weird as hell. I would assume. Yeah, and doesn't actually resolve any of the plot threads that were set up in the story. So I guess, you know, a plus for having your ending be related to the plot, kind of. I guess. This guy's a fucking weird writer. Sounds like it. And it's not terrible. Like, the book itself is not horribly written, not horribly drawn. Uh, The guy's art, art style is very much an acquired kind of taste thing to it. Where a lot of similar faces, everybody is incredibly over-exaggerated in what they do. But if you get used to it, it works. Like, I don't, I wouldn't even say it's bad. Like, it's not like a Yu Yu Hakusho situation where the artwork, like, impeded the story at all or impeded my enjoyment of what I was actually looking at. Because I do like this guy's art. But I think he works better when he has the over-the-top aspects to it of, like, the fucking zombies or or whatever the fuck that weird fallopian thing was in the church in I Am, in I Am the Hero. As opposed to this, so where everything is a lot more toned down, a lot more grounded. So you're, yeah, let's say, so you're saying a grounded drama about fucked up people might not fit with his sensibilities? Not with his art sensibilities. His writing sensibilities, yes. And it's also, it's really weird because, like, his backgrounds are fucking fantastic. Like, the backgrounds are, like, fucking Hiroya Oku levels of detail. Okay. And But then the people are cartoon characters living in them. Which also fits somewhat with Hiroya Oku. <laughs> Kinda, yeah, actually. <laughs> but with Hiroya Oku, like, they were, everyone is very, like, toned down in their expressions. In this, everyone's face is made of fucking rubber. I see. Okay. And it's not something that I actually dislike. Like, it is weird, but I still enjoy reading and looking at his artwork. It just, I do think it works better in a more outlandish story. Actually, that did remind me of something else that I want to talk about, which I'll get into after I do, after I go through all the sports shit. Okay. Yeah, Boys in the Run, it's done. Uh, it's not as good as I Am the Hero. Because like, I Am the Hero played in more to... Played more to what he was good at, both in terms of writing and the artwork. But this isn't terrible. Like, I, actually okay. consi- I actually consider it pretty alright if you know going into it that this isn't a boxing series. Like That was the kind of thing that bummed me out going into it. I was I wanted a boxing series. Like... 
I really dug what I read of Hajime no Ippo, but it's fucking 1,200 chapters. I don't got time for that. Yeah, and although, it, again, like I said when the last time, I, I don't know if we'd record this the last time I did an anime show or the previous one, it it still weirds me out that the writer just said, oh, hey, I know, let me just continue with the main character having quit. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> fucking Ippo retired. It's like, I have too much brain damage, so I'm going to go back to fishing. Whatever the fuck he did before. Yeah, he he helped his mom's, his family's fishing business. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I can't think of another, like, considering how, Ippo, I would actually argue, aside from maybe uh, Ashita no Joe, kind of defined a lot of the tropes of boxing manga. Oh, yeah, totally. And this is not a trope of boxing manga. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. This isn't a trope of manga, period. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, just imagine any other sports series doing this. Yeah. Just middle Great. of fucking Haikyuu. Hinato, like, fucking twists his ankle and goes like, I think I'm just going to, like, get really into art. Yeah. Granted, I have never seen, I am not aware of any other sports series that has been running longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> unless there's like some super obscure fucking thing that's only so to like dojin events yeah unless like detective conan really got into soccer <laughs> yeah i have to solve this murder by joining a football team given to the way some of his cases ended that would not be the strangest thing to happen in that and then as and then as he starts playing he just, he just realizes wait this is fucking awesome <laughs> yeah and then to, Enemies like from Ice Shield Twenty One start showing up. And- <laughs> yeah, he has to fight the Devil Bats. Ah, <laughs> we're writing the worst sports show ever in our heads, right? Oh, absolutely! This is going to be the worst fucking thing. But fuck it, Black Clover exists and is popular, so fuck it. We may we may be all right. That half-assed whisper scream was better than any of the main characters acting. Fair. <laughs> Anywho, moving on. Anyway, proceed with the sporting events. Uh, yes, let's move on to again. All right, so I guess we're talking about the other thing. All right, keep going. Nope, again is a time travel series based around uh, the cheer squad at a local high school. Okay. And it gets weird. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah, so when I say cheer squad, I mean the Japanese male equivalent of cheerleading. Right, yeah. The they've done they've done anime about this. Like they had a a Shonen Eye series about a club of all men that cheer. Yeah, and yeah, I guess for anybody who doesn't know, like I said, it's the male equivalent of cheerleaders where they all have their own uniforms and they go out and do like big choreographed routines. But instead of being like, let's go, they're going out there like fucking just screaming, yeah, sports. Just like screaming yep. their fucking high school's name and doing like really elaborate dances as everybody's dressed up like they're at a funeral. Yep. And so with this one, uh, we are following our main guy whose name escapes me because I'm fucking... I have too many goddamn names in my head. He is a 
very large, very intimidating blonde student who is about to graduate from high school. His hair goes down to his ass and it is all blonde because, according to him, one day a barber made it blonde and he never fucking decided to change back. Because, you know, that's how hair works, right? Yeah, it's not like a dye job will grow out and weaken as your natural hair color comes out. Oh, no, fuck that noise. It is there forever. But yeah, so he was at school. He was at school for like all three, all three years. He constantly went to school. He just never had any friends because everybody was too fucking terrified of him because he looked like a gang member. Okay. So one day he is uh, going. He's like checking out old school buildings and stuff, uh, trying to figure out what trying to like learn some stuff about the school. Now that he's leaving it, and he gets scared by a fellow student, and both of them accidentally fall down the stairs, hitting both their heads and knocking them back three years in time to the beginning of high school. And then he joins the cheer squad, which has a single member that is a woman, which is apparently a big point of contention for some characters. Yeah, the series is about uh, this kid using his, again, as he calls it, uh, to revive the cheer squad and have friends. And it's all it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it so far. It's 106 chapters in and still going. I'm assuming. Uh, over here, it's kind of hard to get it's kind of hard to get fucking details about when series get canceled. Especially about especially when it's a series that isn't really out there a lot. So Yeah, our main guy, he I he might be the weakest part of the series for me because I kind of don't understand his position in the world. Because when he goes back in time and starts like fucking bringing the cheer squad back, he is very intelligent. He is, he is able to fucking like manipulate people and get things done in such a way that I cannot believe that for three years of his life, he didn't have friends. Ah, okay. So it's one of those, your character doesn't make sense scenarios. Yeah, like even like like if anime has taught me anything, it's that it's that people who look tough and intimidating draw other tough and intimidating people towards them. And like this guy, he fucking he revives a club. Like like this like b- before he went back in time, the cheer squad had one member and they were fucking it for the rest of high school. Then he comes back and is able to get the fucking rest of the cheer squad back in, change up what they do to keep the club alive, and then also make friends with fucking other people and be, like, fucking dope at everything to the point that everybody in this school is in love with this guy. And I don't know. To me, it's just, to me, it's just a bit of a stretch that a person who was able to get that level of fucking popularity in a matter of goddamn weeks that he is that he went the entirety of high school never having a single friend like from what i could tell yeah, that, he, did, he didn't even like really talk bad. to other people like nobody nobody approached him he never approached anybody else it was just he just sat in a corner nobody fucking did shit to him and then he just went home every day and nothing happened Okay. Like social anxiety can only 
take you so far. Yeah. And yeah, so the series is just about them. It's about this kid working with the head of the cheer squad, who is again a lady. And them trying to revive that shit. And it and that that aspect of it kind of works. The 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 series is less a sports series and kind of more of a time travel slice of life kind of thing. Because apparently in this in this fucking school, if you if you go to this one building and hit your head from any height anywhere in the vicinity of the building, you then go into a coma and wake up three years in the past. Okay, well, I mean, and then if you do it again, you then wake up in the in the timeline that you left, waking up from your coma, and then you in the past is in a coma. Again, that's. Not the weirdest. No, it's not. But it is a bizarre setup for this kind of series. Yeah, I know. Just like, what uh, is time then? Yeah. Because when he, because when the the main character goes back to the present that he left, there isn't any change. Like, as far as he's aware, as far as he is concerned, as far as he and the world is concerned, he's just been unconscious for the last couple months. Okay. Nothing nothing fucking happened. He never actually time traveled. It's just, oh, I was fucking unconscious and now I'm awake. And then once he goes unconscious again, he then wakes up in the past when he was unconscious. And like there are some effects to this. Like like our like our fucking head of the cheer squad. There's a there's a love thing developing between the two between our two leads there, and as she is making out with his unconscious body in the past, she sees the future version of him. Okay, I don't know. And then and then at a certain point, she fucking hits her the fucking cheer squad captain hits her goddamn head, and then wakes up. In essentially her more recent past, but from the timeline where that guy never went back in time. So it's fucking layers on top of layers on top of layers of time travel. All of them from different comas. Yeah, that would get confusing to read after a while. Well, it's not a matter of like following the timelines and what is confusing. It's a matter of just what are the actual mechanics of what's happening here. Yeah, that too. Because the story is presented entirely linearly, like, like when he travels, like when uh, when main character jumps back to the present, it's like it's like following him until the point he decides to go back, and then jumps back to immediately after he fell unconscious in the fucking past, and then follows that timeline until they meet up, and they just go linearly from there, which all works. That that whole that whole fucking side thing works, and. And so it's just a matter of what the fuck is actually going on. Yeah, well, that's what I, like, when you have that many concurrent time travel plot lines going on at the same time, you're kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So the main and so there's also a main, there's another character that came with him into this again, as they call it. Uh, and her whole fucking story is that in the pres in the present timeline. She was popular. Then she goes back to the past, 
and tries to jumpstart her timeline and ends up fucking sooner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, like she had a boyfriend. She had this, she had that. She had all this fucking shit going on. Then she goes back to the past before all that happened and tries to force that to happen sooner and fucks it all up to the point where, to the point where everybody thinks like she's just some fucking weird asshole. Okay. Like she even tries to use her knowledge of the fucking present or the future, I guess, to to game the system in order to get in order to get like cool about stuff. But our main character keeps fucking it up because he just is there changing things. Which that it's a it's a decent joke, I think, that runs throughout the series that they are at this point changing up. Okay. And I appreciate that. There is there is evolution of the course of the series. And I also don't think the guy who wrote this really knows cheer squads. Because, because one of the because uh one of the main things that actually keeps the cheer squad from dying is the fact that they is the fact that uh that our main guy he is like essentially forcing the cheer squad to change how they do tradition. Which, I don't want to say anything derogatory about the Japanese, but, like, tradition, at least in anime and stuff, that's not something you change, ever. Especially with something, especially with something that is this fucking, yo, men. Like, like they, they, there's a point where they have to, uh. They have to go back and like get members who had left the cheer squad, and one of them refuses to come back because the captain of the cheer squad is a girl. Just like that is straight up. He just says, as long as that woman is in charge of the fucking cheer squad, I will not join that thing. It's for men only. And then he forces them, and then he then fucking main guy tricks him to come tricks him into coming back because dot dot dot. I can't remember what he, I can't remember the fucking plot that he used. Okay. Yeah, I'm liking it so far as just a slice of life kind of thing, but the but the time travel is starting to get to the point where I just want a fucking explanation as to what the was what the shit is actually going on, and the sports well, stuff. The way you were just the way you were describing it before sounded like it could be a cool idea for like a anthology series with this premise, but. The way you're suggesting, no, it's like an over. It's a developing plot line. Yeah, it's a developing plot line following that these would characters. Get so convoluted, so fast that. So yeah, that would get so convoluted so fast that you would just. If, no. Like you're if, unless they just like pull a Steins Gate and just take an episode to explain everything metaphorically, you're screwed. <laughs> no, but that's the thing they. The writer made it more complicated himself by having our fucking main character jump back to the present. Because, like, if it was, hey, these two students fell down, hit their heads, welcome to the past, that's fucking fine. But it's the fact that he then has main character go back to the present, then jump back to the past, bringing somebody else with him, and then having a character from the past jump to a different past. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, that's my point. That like, say what you will about Steingate's plot being co- co- complicated. It's time travel mechanics were not all that convoluted. Not until they introduced physical time travel. Or, uh, yeah, again, but that was 
have a way to write themselves out of the worst timeline. And if you play Steins Gate Zero, they actually explain it okay. But it's but no, like but yeah, Steins, was Steins Gate was a Steins Gate was a very convoluted plot with a very simple time travel mechanic. This is a very simple plot with a very convoluted time travel mechanic. Yeah, sounds like it. But I think it is still good. Like if you just <laughs> read that, it, but it, it, is that getting into like erased territory where the time travel stuff is the stuff that ultimately feels the like in the grand scheme of kind of relevant. To set up this situation where someone has foreknowledge of the future to use that to inform how they act in the past? A little bit. Like, if it was, if this was, this is, kind, this is almost getting to erased levels where it, where, with erased, it was actual time travel. Like, they're, like what he did in the past had real tangible effects on his present. This doesn't. Like if they if they had never had him if they if they had never had him jump back to the present from the past, then I wouldn't really have that much to talk about with this. I wouldn't really have that much to complain about with the time travel aspect of it because it would just be a fun slice of life series with with some likable characters and a good core relationship between main guy and cheer squad captain. Like I'm liking those two together, but. The writer is forcing the time travel stuff to become a more prevalent part of the story in a way that I don't understand. Because the time travel stuff so far has only served to push forward the relationship between the characters in a way that feels wholly unnatural. Like, the relationship was developing in a in a much in a, in a slower capacity as, as to like before the time travel stuff happened but it was still developing it was still getting there and it could easily that could easily be the fucking driving force of the series of just hey these two gone fuck let's see the lead up to that and the, like they but then the time travel stuff happens which forces these like major moves forward to the point where to the point where a character is as they say in the series reverse raping another one Like, that's the part I don't understand. Yeah. Because in the case of Erased, uh, the time travel was just a device to set up the story. From the sounds of it, the time travel in this is a weird mechanic in the story that you feel is unnecessary. Yeah. (laughs) But overall, I still do enjoy the series. I guess it's it's written well. It's funny. It's charming. It has de- it has, it has good art in it. All the characters are very expressive. He's able to get like a lot of visual humor out of them uh, without without his art like devolving too much into just weird campy offshoot shit. And it's good. It's just why this much time travel? The time travel is essentially the nuclear disaster relief of this. Anyway, final sports series I have to talk about uh, is Kuragane, which is about keto. I think that's the that's the sword fighting thing. Oh right, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the um, yeah, the the uh, kendo, 
Kendo. That's it. Kendo. Japanese fencing. Yeah, the keto thing was like, keto. I thought that was like a spell. <laughs> I. Yeah. No, I read this a while ago. It kind of just kind of stopped. Yeah, it really did because it got canceled. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you cannot read the last chapter of Kurogan and say, oh, well, that's the conclusion to a story. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like the guy knew he was canceled like fucking seven chapters before the end of it, and so he introduced what he thought would be a what he thought would be a very good antagonist to end the series on. But he'd already set up two other antagonists. Yeah, which felt more appropriate to be a end of series thing instead of this fucking random jobber who showed up ahead of time to say, "Hey, you're using the sword style that I use. Go fuck yourself." Yeah. Yeah. So, series is about main guy, Kurogane. Remember his name because it's the name of the series. Yeah. Uh, he is a student. He is smart guy, decent kid, no physical ability whatsoever. Nope. Like to the point where he will refuse to even attempt a physical thing because he has failed so much at it. Yes. Where he has this like insane, super intense inferiority complex about himself until he meets a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that plot point. Remind me of the weird Hikaru no go shit. Yeah, so he met a ghost <laughs> that then began teaching him sword fighting. Because he dodged because he dodged a blade attack from her. And he did it because his eyes are super good. Like, yeah. so good to the point where he has to wear glasses to impede his vision. Yeah, like, his dynamic vision is so good that it makes him hard to, like, understand the much more static world. Yeah, so he wears frosted, so he wears glasses with frosted lenses on him so that the world's a bit more blurry. So, so it brings it down to a level that he can live at. Yeah. But because of that, he, is, he could be fucking dope sword fighter. Yep. That's how swords work, right? If you have really good eyes, you're an amazing sword fighter. Well, to the series credit, they they imply that his his eyes give him certain advantages in sword fighting, but he lacks the physical acumen at the beginning to effectively do anything. Yeah. So you know, endless training montage. <laughs> oh yeah, this entire series is just the entire series is training, and then the occasional match where everyone expects him to lose. Yeah. Which um. It felt like a contrast to me with another series, another Kendo-based series that I'm actually a little bit more fond of called Bamboo Blade, where you have a team of Kendo fighters who have all kinds of like varying degrees of ability, where you have like the prodigy, you have the decent veteran, the well-meaning but amateur uh, startup, and the one who it would be good if they would focus for three seconds. Yeah, and they do have that in Kuragane. It's just because it is only 70 chapters, they don't have re- any real time to properly flesh those characters out because he expected the series to run for fucking like 900 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, st- I still think like I like Kuragane himself, but I don't think some of his side characters were as, develop- were as interesting as they could have been. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, our main kind of group of dudes that are following is Kuragane. Um, Another kid who was a prodigy from another school who then transferred in and is like, oh, I'm so fucking dope, but I can only fight one-handed because my left hand got fucked. In a plotline that is never resolved. 
Uh, and then we have our secondary guy who is a naturally very good fighter. He just is a bit of a shit. So in terms of actual training, he's like, yeah, fuck that shit. No, fuck that shit, dog. I'm going to go punch people. But then Kurgani's like, hey, man, we is friends. And then he's like, okay, I'll go fucking train in Kendo. And, like, the Kendo stuff, I think, works. It is it, – it it keeps it visually interesting. It keeps it – it keeps things fresh. It does have a – something that something that a good chunk of sports series really lack is that it does feel like the characters can lose. Yeah. No, it's it, – it doesn't have the – the thing that, like, a ba- lots of bad shown series do where you have – you they can't – they don't believably set up situations where the main characters could lose. Yeah. Whereas in this, they do, and they do lose. Like not when it matters, obviously, but outside of that, they, they do show it like Kurgane is incredibly inexperienced with this. And no matter how good his eyes are or how good his ghost is. Yeah. That's, and that's the thing I appreciated about Kurgane when I was reading it. Cause I read this several years ago, but, um, they admit he has a lot of natural talent, but also freely say, yeah, he's got talent, but he, there's a lot of other people who might not have those talents, but still have the physical acumen and years of experience that he does not have. Yeah. Yeah. And a good chunk of the tension comes from the fact that Kuragane, it is set up that he essentially has like a time limit. Yeah. Where if he goes on too long, he just fucking passes out. Yeah. Because no stamina at all. <laughs> At all. But that does work to the series' advantage. It does. It sets it sets a good ticking clock for the series. It sets up. If this series had gone on longer. That would have been a really good through line to show him actually getting stronger. Yeah, it's a believable tension to tie the series together with. Even if. Again, through no fault of the series, they didn't really have much time to do anything with it. Yeah, and every character has something like that. Like 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 the like the three of our mains and then the captain. They all have they all have like believable things that could fuck them up because like other guy has his fuck up left hand so he can only fight one handed. The other guy is a dumbass who won't fucking pay attention. The captain has no inherent athletic ability for this thing. He just fucking trains like a goddamn lunatic to the point where he only does one strike, but he is so fucking good at it. Like, all he does is just two-hand, overhand, downhand, like, fucking downward strike. And everybody's like, fucking dumbass, that ain't gonna work. And then he breaks everybody's swords. And it was a good and it's a, it was a good setup for, like, what Kuragane is trying to reach. And even the, like, other... And the, and the other antagonists that the, that the author had set up were solidly put into the series. Uh, we have two other academies that the kind of like going after. One of them has the fucking dopest ass goddamn swordsman. They call him like the Heavenly Blade or something. Who is essentially what if Kuragane wasn't shit? He's, he has the same eyes as him, where he's able to like has the same kind of dynamic fucking range vision, but he's just good at sports too. And you have everybody else on that team, including including somebody who fought against Kuragane and. Was like, yo, we're bros now. And then you have the evil team. Who is. Whose leader wears a fucking surgical mask so that people can't see that he has fucking demon teeth. 
I'm assuming. Nope, he's secretly a crybaby. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really great. Just this fucking evil demon monk. Just cut to him just in the the fucking room in a corner crying. (sighs) And like even when he's fighting people, he has like puppy dog lips underneath the mask that he just doesn't let people see. Yeah. Because it would ruin his image. (laughs) Yeah, he is is very much – he's very much groomed this image of him being this stoic badass. But the second he takes that mask off, everybody's like, aren't you adorable? Uh, and who knows? For, for all we know, that might have been the case. But the series got canceled. Yeah. Before any of these fucking things that got set up actually came to fruition. So yeah. getting so getting into the end of the series, uh, the author introduces a character who is supposedly the last surviving fucking member of the of a family that practiced this style, the sword style, from the time when the ghost fucking died. And so he or she, I don't know. Characters of this are really androgynous. Like there are some characters that are very clear, like, yeah, this is a woman, this is a man. But then there are some that are like, yo, this person looks exactly like a woman, but they're on an all-male sword team. So it's fucking real fucks my head. Yeah, the guy, yeah, this fucking guy shows up and says, yo, fuck ass. You can't sword for shit. Fight me, bro. And they do. And fucking main boy wins because it's the end of the series. I'm not going to fucking end the series with him never being able to sword fight again. Although that would have been a nice fuck you to the ending of a, to a series that got canceled. Okay, fuck it. He loses and that's the end. Yeah, actually, that would be great. Just It's like, yeah, your series got canceled. So, like, just you have seven chapters left, fucking whatever. And he sets the whole thing up and then... Ends with the character just never picking up a sword again, and then just lives his life as a goddamn salary man until he kills himself. That's how I would have ended it. <laughs> yeah. But there are reasons I don't write manga. There's reasons I don't write. <laughs> I'm, told I'm, a, I'm told I'm a good writer, and I never believe it because my ideas are stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, so are fucking mine, but then I... Tra- I channel that stupid into fucking other stupid shit. And it eventually comes around to being something kind of interesting. Yeah, I suppose. So is that it on Kuragane? Yeah, Kuragane's, Kuragane's fine. It's unfortunate that this guy keeps getting series that seem really interesting, but then always get fucking canned before they can get really get momentum behind them. Yeah. Like it was Kuragane, and then more recently was Mononofu. Oh, yeah. Which was a series about Shogi that I really enjoyed, but then got fucking canceled. That one only made it to like 20 chapters or something. Maybe that's the problem. He writes stuff that's too interesting. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's just... I'm not actually 100% sure why his shit keeps getting canned. Like, it's on the level of other stuff like this. And he has a, he has a good, solid art style behind him. It's just... His series don't click with people. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I guess I should have rephrased that. When I said interesting, I kind of meant more like niche. Which is weird because like all the stuff he talks about are topics that are incredibly popular in Japan. Like I've taken kendo lessons. Yeah. And I was only in Japan for a month. So 
Yeah, and Kendo like there is are really big in Japan. There are series that have run forever based on Kendo in Japan. Yeah, and maybe the, it's just execution. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and the other, and the other one, Mononofu, was based on Shogi. Which is another thing that everyone in Japan plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does like these really broad, super fucking non-niche things, mainstream things. And he does it well. He does it interestingly. Like like even like with this having the guy having like fucking no stamina and no physical ability whatsoever and having that be the having that be him growing. And then with the uh, Mononofu, it was our main character has just the way the way his mind works, he can't make logical leaps basically. He has to go through every single fucking aspect of every single part of every single problem in front of him. Yeah. And that fucks him over. And so everybody thinks he's stupid. Like he spends all the time studying and he has all the information. It's just if a question fucking stumps him, he will not move on until he gets solves that question and then runs out of time on fucking tests and shit. And but then he takes up Shogi and goes into fucking one specific play style and essentially becomes a master of that single play style. And that is interesting. It has taken this fucking dumb – it's taken this fucking guy who has to go through every option and then just limiting the number of options he actually has to go through. That's an interesting way to work around his problem. But then it goes for 25 chapters and stops. Doesn't finish, just stops. Yeah. I think there's nothing more frustrating for a writer than when you're canceled, so you just have to stop and you can't. Like, sometimes cancellation has led to satisfying conclusions, but that's usually when it's, like, relatively close to the end of what the story would be told anyway. Most of the time, it's yeah. just click. <laughs> yeah. Like, if this were an anime, it was like you're in the middle of an episode and they changed the channel. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> anyway, final thing I have to talk about: a new Hiroya Oku series. Ah, uh, you always love those, considering how much you love Gantz. <laughs> I know. I, I I'm sorry. I'm just, I know how much you hate Gantz. I just like. No, I know. Oku. I know. I I give. I do that joke enough to other people. I do it to you. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, this one is called Gigant. Or Gigant? Something. I'm assuming I'm assuming uh, it's something like Gigant because it's about a lady who grows. I think the Japanese would have pronounced it Gigant. Gigant, okay. The point is. Yeah, the series it's about a woman who grows. <laughs> yeah, the series is about a high school student who ends up befriending a porn star. Male or female? Male student, female porn star. Okay. She then like helps an old man with something, and then that old man slaps her wrist and puts on this little watch thing that like embeds itself into her wrist. Then she can use it to Ooh, change her size. Ooh, an Omnitrix. <laughs> yeah, but it only turns her into way big. Yeah. So a monotrix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yeah, so I don't know where this series is going. Like with Gantz and Inuyashiki, his last series, those both had clear paths forward. Yeah, with although Inuyashiki's clear path forward made a lot more sense and was a lot more compelling than Gantz's. Fair, but a path <laughs> forward was there from chapter one. 
True. With this, though, guy meets porn star. Porn star could change size. Dot, dot, dot. Profit? I mean, the series is still going, so I'm assuming he's getting paid. Yeah, or like she became that chick from uh, My Hero Academia. Mount Lady? Yeah, this is... Well, no, she didn't become that. Uh, when she first reveals to people that she can change size, the she, she shows it to her producer first. So Bruce is like, all right, go to like 10 feet tall. We're going to have two dudes fuck your tits. And so then it's a fucking video that's released of a 10 foot lady sitting there looking real fucking looking real fucking concerned as two dudes like hang off of her nipples, just fucking ramming her goddamn tits. Yeah. That sounds like something that would happen. It also sounds like something Hiroya Oku would write. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It sounds like a Hiroya Oku situation, like how two pe- two people, one mis- one a miserable piece of shit, the other a miserable person with a good heart, use their robot bodies to play cowboys and Indians in the park. <laughs> or was I just remembering that wrong? Uh... Well, it's less in the them, it's less in the park. I just remember them doing like finger guns at each other in like a, a wooded area. It was uh, just... <laughs> I think it was more in a courtyard after they left the oh. after they left town square. Okay, and they both do an Armageddon. Just listen, just watch, just reading those fucking final chapters of Inuyashiki, and just Aerosmith starts playing in my head. If, if, God damn it. <laughs> because of that, what's funny is because I, I I do have the Aerosmith Armageddon song stuck in my head all the time now, if you even mention it. But now, because of, um, what's the game, uh, Saints Row 4, I have that I have that section stuck in my head. It's totally like, hey, uh, you were just... <laughs> Yeah. Guess I don't want you to die. <laughs> that's still the that's still the funniest part of Saints Row Four to me. Just a fucking great cold open, <laughs> and then lands in the White House. Yeah. Just literally, just all right. So yeah, we stop that. I'm president now. Like fuck cancer. <sighs> Although knowing Johnny Gaddy, he probably would fuck cancer. Yeah, probably. <laughs> And anyway, given, and given sorry, how much that series loves Johnny Gat, his semen would probably be the cure to cancer. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sorry for the digression. Continue. That's really all I have to say about, about uh, fucking this series. I don't know what it is. I don't have enough of a grasp to really – don't have enough. it's not enough into it that I really have a grasp of who the characters are yet. It's just this is a Hiroyu Oku series. Where a lady with big tits grows to giant size. And because it's not Gantz, you are totally reading it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it does. It, this this doesn't seem to have his trademark nihilism yet, so. Give it time. Yeah, I know. I know. I know it'll eventually get there. Like, fuck, man. I, I like Inuyashiki. I don't like it that much. 
I know what this dude's deal is, so I know that eventually the porn star will, like, grow to giant size and start destroying buildings because her boyfriend beat her or something. Yeah. Or, like, she she gives the her male high school friend his first time just to get him over it, and she accidentally grows and crushes him or something. Something along those lines. Yeah. We'll get there eventually, but it's only six chapters in. Give it some time. <laughs> Enjoy the fun before the nihilism starts. Exactly. Which I, I can kind of appreciate given we, we got a bad dose of nihilism earlier with Crybaby, so I guess I can approach, appreciate good fun before the nihilism. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be it's gonna be like, yeah, you know, just some weird shit happening. You know, it occasionally gets a bit dark, but hey, that's, that's Oku. And then... And then, like, the high school friend gets murdered or, like, the lady gets raped or something. Yeah. Something stupid something stupid and terrible will happen that will trigger this downward spiral of hatred. Yeah. And then you have dumb series that start off with hatred that just makes no sense. Yeah. Christ, Gantz is terrible. <laughs> It, it just it's, it never ceases to amuse me how much you kind of like more recent work. It's because I've gone back and listened to some of your discussions with the previous crew about Gantz, and my God, you sound angry. <laughs> Fuck, man. Uh, I'm not even 100% sure where that anger comes from for Gantz. Like, it's not just the nihilism. Like, I've fucking watched and read nihilist shit before and enjoyed it. I remember you had a, a list of expletive-laden negative descriptors of the main character. The main character is a part of it. The main character is one of the most hateful motherfuckers I've ever read. Just from the jump, he is... This fucking, he's the most fedora tip and asshole you could ever fucking read about. <laughs> and this was probably written in the late 90s, early 2000s. No, it must have been written in the late 90s. Cause I remember the, the anime came out in like 2003. So it must Yeah, been. I think it started in like 98, 99. Yeah. So that was before the worst of the fedora tipping days. <laughs> yeah, it was like just, oh, actually it started in 2000. Yep. Yeah, as he fucking comes in and then immediately, old lady, yeah, fuck that old bitch. So he's about to die in front of him. Oh, let's see this fucking happen. Meets a woman. Yeah, let me bang you. And then she does. Is this the chick on the cover who wears the same plug suit as him? or is this No, this is a separate chick with the same plug suit as him. Okay. Because he has, like, four different women fucking ride his bones in this series. Either him or his clone. Yeah, because, I, I Gantz is one of those anime and manga about from right back, just about from when I started reading and reading manga and watching anime. But, and I, it, and it was one of those things that was ever present at the start of my anime and manga career, but I was always like, 
Yeah, from what I know, but I don't really want to watch this. Like the the closest I've gotten is that I've watched the first ten minutes of the first episode. I'm like, no, I don't really want to watch this. Yeah, for me, uh, when I first started getting into like anime and manga for realsies and like reading stuff online, I was at the age and of the mindset that I was like, oh man, Gantz, this is gonna be cool. I relate to this character in the fact that I don't have sex. Yeah, you see, I got my fill of that mindset from another terrible series that was also ever present in the early 2000s, Elfin Lied. <laughs> yeah, I luckily avoided that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Elfin Lied, a series where the good girl is your cousin. <laughs> but no, like I read I read like the first like I think 50 chapters of Gantz back then, lost track of where I was and stopped reading. Then read a bunch of other better shit. Yeah, that'll happen. Then went back to Gantz and got to the part where I got to the part where the fucking orb calls that one dude fag and then everybody jumps back five feet and covers their buttholes. And I'm like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, well, late 90s, early 2000s. I think Japan, they're slowly getting over their homophobia, but the, particularly in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were worse than the U.S. Oh, yeah. Fuck, dude. Jesus. Like, I got a taste of how, like, culturally insensitive Japan could be when I when I visited Japan. And a friend of mine who was with me, who was African-American, explained to me that when he first got there and met some of the other students in college, they requested whether or not they could, like, run their fingers through his hair just to see what it was like. Wow! Like, I knew black people were, like, a thing over there, but, like, Jesus! Yeah. And there's videos of Japanese people doing that, too. Wow. And you wonder why that um, one black guy cockroach from Terraformars was such a sambo motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I still occasionally see the image that you posted when you talked about that character on whatever episode that was. I'm like, oh, God, right. (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Shit's weird over there. Yeah. It, ne- it needs to get better, and it kind of is. Yeah. They're, they're starting to... Like, Japan is an incredibly insular... Uh, society? Society as a whole, anyway. And so... Their approach to other cultures is like, this is interesting and we'll take what we want from it, but we don't really want to be influenced by it. Yeah. (laughs) Which can result in some awesome, stupid shit, one of which I will talk about later, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah. But Japan still has the problem of, like, they want to view everything through their own cultural lens. And, yeah, to be fair, to a certain degree, all cultures do that. But other cultures are much more open to being influenced by incoming cultures than Japan is. Yeah. I think it comes from being being on an island that small. Yeah, that small. Because, like, they've only... You could argue that, like, culturally they absorb a lot from China because a lot of their oldest ancestors came from China originally, if you're not talking about, like, the native peoples of Japan, which Japan doesn't like to talk about anymore, because 
they basically did to them what the United States did to Native Americans. Yeah, I know. I read Golden Camway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and that's just the ones they didn't wipe out. Um, <sighs> but yeah, um, it's hard. It's it's a complicated topic to talk about. I am probably as most of history Japan. is. Yeah, which is why I'm having so much fun trying to figure out how to teach it. <laughs> uh. Anyway, yeah, that's enough of the interesting stuff. Let's t- let's go back to talk about weird bullshit. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, I'm going to save the thing I told you I'm going to talk about for the end. I figured. Because you're not going to want to talk about anything else once I get to that. You did say it was a showstopper. Yeah. So, I'm going to start with the good thing first and kind of work my way through some middling stuff before I get to the showstopper. So, first, uh, a show from this season that when I looked at it, I had no real interest in, but I was curious about so i watched one episode and then watched eight <laughs> um school babysitters i don't even heard of this one yeah this is a this is a new anime for the winter 2018 season where um it's a slice of life comedic somewhat comedic drama with a ridiculously heavy gut punch opening <laughs> okay because the the premise of this is that uh, the main character, Ryuichi, his parents died in a plane crash before <laughs> the series even starts. Yeah, okay. And he has been left orphaned except for his two-year-old baby brother, <laughs> who he is now responsible for. Luckily, luckily for him, um, well, not luckily, I suppose, but like... It, getting something good out of something bad. Uh, the headmaster of a school had her, her daughter and her uh, son-in-law died in the same plane crash. So they met at the funeral for all the crash victims. And she offers to essentially become his legal guardian and pay for his schooling, his expenses and everything for him and his brother, as long as he agrees to help keep alive his daughter's, um, pet project at the school, which is a babysitting club so that teachers can bring their infant children there while they teach. Well, yeah, that's a setup. Yeah. Kind of needlessly dark, but yeah, fuck it. Yeah. It got you there. Yeah. And you kind of get how kind of needlessly dark and oh, the feels it is when um, in the first episode, uh, Ryuchi's baby brother Kotaro is one of those really quiet insular kids who has trouble adjusting to new environments to the point where his first day in the baby in the babysitters club with all these new kids has him so stressed out that he develops a fever by the end of the day. So he has to be taken to the doctor. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I'm fully aware that environment can have big effects on kids, particularly kids that young, so it's not unreasonable to expect that this might happen but like, it is no but of, still yeah and it gets worse when um ryuichi in a moment of uh habit because apparently his parents had a tendency to disappear a lot anyway because they were like those kind of free-spirited type people who kind of left most of the child rearing of his baby brother to him anyway so out of habit he calls his parents to say that his kid is kicked until he gets to the phone and goes oh right they're not going to answer anymore 
because they died in the pine class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck. Oh, I better call my absentee parents. Oh, wait, right, they're dead. Because, <laughs> like, he's mostly held him. He's obviously sad about his parents' death, but he's mostly held himself together until that moment. At which point he just breaks down and falls to the floor. Which, as someone who's dealt with the death of a parent, I understand. That kind of shit happens. Where just something you habitually did that involved your parents, you can't habitually do anymore. And thus you are emotionally wrecked for a moment. This series is listed as a comedy slice of life. Yeah. And it mostly is. But it's just, just at the beginning. It starts out with dark. fucking horrible melodrama. And then all of a sudden the baby's pooping. Yeah, or, um, like... Oh my god, this baby fucking shit's nightmares! Yeah, like, okay, so aside from, like, that stuff, the characters, a lot of the characters are kind of, like, sitcom-y stereotypes. Like, the guy who is the part-timer working at the babysitter club before Rubichi shows up is cartoonishly terrible as a uh, child rearer, to where he will just kind of casually let these two-year-old kids wander off outside of the school or outside of the grounds, and then it's like, oh, it's fine, I know where they're going. <laughs> yes, two-year-olds are all, are very no, well known for keeping a schedule. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, the, the biggest stereotype for me is the what appears to be one of the two main love interests, uh, Inomata Maria, who is... Even by Sundere standards, she's a cartoon. <laughs> because, like, she reacts to anything said about her, positive or negative. Like, that joke from Family Guy with the character says, Yeah, big whoop, wanna fight about it? <laughs> <laughs> like, she reacts to saying, um, Yeah, you have a lot of uh, stuff on your plate since you're, like, number one in the school and in the gifted class. And she's like, Yeah, I study a lot. I'm, I have a lot of pressure on me. I have no friends. As her friends then call her over. No, she has no friends. Until, oh, okay. Like, I assume until like episode until like episode seven, she has no friends. Okay, I assumed first... it was. I assumed it was going to be like a. I assumed like with what you said, it was going to be like a thing of just or just, she, uh, just everything she says, she's immediately contradicted because she's just like going no. so the opposite direction. Like that. That's true for some things, but uh, it could, for, for the most part, it's like I don't like cute things, but baka. <laughs> like she, like she almost, she almost bonds. Like her first bonding moment with Ryuichi is over the fact that she thinks babies are cute, but that she has like such a stone, it's like a stony growl, growly face whenever she's on campus. When it because she's so insecure all the time that people are afraid of her until uh, the other love interest kind of bonds with her over their mutual like of certain characteristics of Ruichi as a person. Yeah. God, these babies are fucking adorable. Yeah. Coochie, coochie, coo, you little fuck. And to be fair, the babies are kind of adorable. Uh, there's a pair of like identical twins whose father, whose father, whose mother is a, is a teacher at the school and whose father is an actor. And to, which is a nice sitcom juxtaposition because none of the, the none of the high school people working in the club know who this actor is, but every high school girl does. <laughs> <laughs> but he and he's like cartoonishly upset by the fact that his job keeps him so busy that he rarely has time for his kids, 
which is kind of amusing. And it, but he, and he works well with his wife, so that's also fun. There's a random one-off where this other kid at the high school misinterprets what one of the teachers is saying when she says, my, my husband is always buried in the ground. It, I, I guess you can see why she would assume that that would mean he's dead, but... It, she, what does he that even mean? Never, uh, in, it's in reference to the fact that he's an archaeologist. Okay, well, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, like but you don't still, bury it's, archaeologists. It's a weird way to phrase a sentence. <laughs> yeah, like archaeologists kind of do the opposite of burying. Yeah, I can I can suppose they would go underground a lot to unearth things, but they're not burying themselves. <laughs> yeah, just it's like I'm just imagining now like Indiana Jones like going out. It's like all right, I'm heading out into this tunnel. As soon as I get down there, fill it back up. <laughs> this belongs in a museum. That would be a fun. <laughs> comedy sketch <laughs> yeah just archaeologist grossly misunderstanding his job <laughs> yeah or um like after the third movie indiana jones goes down and says okay bury me like what but, but bury me down there there's plenty of gold what i mean to look for but why would you because i'm because if i either, either stay down here or i do crystal skull <laughs> yeah there are snakes out there man there are no snakes down here so yeah, fucking Shia uh, LaBeouf's out there with a goddamn cobra. So yeah, like I mean, you have the one girl kid who's I, I don't I don't think we've met her parents yet, or if we have, I don't remember. Whose whole thing? Whose whole thing is that she's the wise beyond her years little girl who likes to carry around a giraffe doll. Naturally, yeah. When you think wisdom, uh, you think giraffes. Yeah, there's the uh, black-haired kid uh takuba who's the other one that gets probably the most development mainly because his older brother is ryuichi's first and closest male friend at the school who's kind of stoic but he kind of takes the opposite approach to where ryuichi is overly loving to his brother gotara to the point where everyone thinks it's weird how obsessed he is with his little brother in terms of everything but that's weird to me knowing their background but uh this his friend is sort of like yeah, no, I mean, he's my brother. I kind of have to have him in my life. So it's not really a love situation. It's just, you know, we're brothers. <laughs> just any showing yeah. of affection is like him being really awkward on a dog? Kind of. Most of his showing of affection is just like staunch discipline type shit. It's like, stop screaming at the top of your lungs. Like, stop attacking the new kid. And... When the whenever the little brother kind of expects his big brother to say "I love you," and he, he just he's like, "Eh, <laughs> you're all right, I guess." <laughs> just looks for "I love you." Talk to me when you're older. I don't know your personality yet, so yeah. And then there's the baby, baby who can't even talk yet, but so it's hard to tell with her. If, what her character is at this point. But yeah, no, they're all cute. They have distinct personalities for the most part. Uh, there's some fun comedic moments featuring relatively normal shit going on. How do they handle the voice and, acting for the kids? Um, well, I mean, the baby baby who doesn't talk is just a lot of baby noise. Um, yeah, but like, is it like actual like child voice actors or like 75-year-old Japanese women? I... But I don't know. I would have to look that up. Okay. 
Yeah. But to be fair, there's only like technically I speaking of like of the baby kids, there's like three four voices because the twins I think are voiced by the same character. The baby doesn't talk. So uh-huh. But yeah, um it's reasonably it's it's sweet and fluffy and not all that plot driven. It's just a series of events in the lives of these characters, but it packs more of an emotional gut punch than you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> that is like needlessly violent and dark. What the hell? Yeah. Like it's almost cruel to these fake people. <laughs> Mm. It's like I'm not just thinking about recreators and like what would happen if these two fuckers came into the world. Anyway, I, I, yeah. Anything else All before right, we get so, to the big thing? Uh, yeah. Two other quick things. Uh, blue phobia. I have almost nothing. Have you read this? I think so. It's the one with the blue skulls, right? Yeah, it's the one where people are touching some mineral that turns their skeletons into that mineral. Yeah, I read a chapter of this and gave up. Yeah, it's it's overly com- the art's good, but it's overly complicated. The plot had does a lot of stuff that annoys me from this kind of perspective where it does the thriller thing of we open with the perspective of a character who we are told is important but has no memory of why he or any of this is important. So it has to be retroactively explained to him, even though he explained it to other people. Yippee. And they've got, like, blue zombies, basically blue skeleton zombies. It's fine. <laughs> I don't really have much to say. It, it's That's why I, I don't have much to say about this. It's there. <laughs> Sounds riveting. Yeah. All right. Made in Abyss. I started watching that. Uh, so far it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, I love the, the art music design. I love the design of, uh, kind of steampunky Mega Man, despite the weird off center helmet he wears. <laughs> yeah. But I think it works. I think it works for like the fact that he's a child basically. Yeah. I like all the designs. Like when we watched the first episode, I was like, Oh, hello, dragon slug. Um, you're going to haunt my nightmares for the night. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's gorgeous. I love the designs. I like where the the implications of where the story is going. I like the idea that uh, the main character's heroicized mom doesn't sound like the man, all things considered. And I've only watched this and gotten... Like, I was all like... I don't know that this series has a reputation. Uh, I don't trust you. <laughs> So I'm going to keep watching that since it was removed, right died, and it was removed from a double paywall. So <sighs> you watched, you read, watched this, right? I watched the first two episodes, I think. Okay. Yeah. I have a mean so to get back into it. Like got, I, yeah. So neither, so neither of us got to the point where we meet Auntie Despair and Uncle Depression. <laughs> Not yet, but we're close. Yeah. We're both, we're both be getting back into that. Yeah. All right. Uh, quick update on um, 
uh, my favorite trashy anime of the season, uh, Killing Bites. Uh, we have, of course, graduated to ridiculous fan service and um, cutting off of animal, uh, weird animal penises because in the last episode, um, the cobra, mo- the half cobra guy, tried to rape the main character, but she slashed off his bifurcated cobra penis. You know, that, you know how things happen. Yeah. And in the most recent episode, for about five minutes, uh, the cheetah girl and the main character ended up dry humping for about five minutes because of another fighter whose ability is to turn fighting uh, fighting desire into lust. Because, you know. Yeah, sure. You'd kind of expect that in the series. Yeah, it's killing uh, bites. But, That's what they fucking yeah. do. Yeah. From the looks of it, uh, our main character is about to fight all three of the most dangerous fighters at once. So it'll be interesting to see if or how she survives that. Because the nice thing about the most recent Killing Bites episodes is that our main our main heroine is no longer invulnerable in combat. She's good at a couple of things, but she's finally encountering stuff that she can't just win against easily. Which, for this kind of battle royale thing, you need. You need tension in the fights, or there's no point. <laughs> Okay. Nope. Okay, I'm just making sure you were still there. No, yeah, I am. But, uh, I'm just reading up. I'm just reading stuff about Made in Abyss. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a couple of other things, but I think I can talk about them next time. So let's get to the reason I wanted to record tonight. Yep. Okay, so. So just for service of the background, I, uh, I know a yeah. bit of what you'll be talking about because you've been texting me snippets of what of what's to come basically all week. Yeah, because, um, okay, so when I first heard about this show, I wasn't sure what to think. It sounded like a train wreck. A lot of people on anime review sites were saying that this is kind of a spectacular train wreck. So I watched a couple of episodes, and after the ending of the first arc, I basically challenged Dead Man to say at... I think I have a contender to challenge your, uh, what was the thing you say was the biggest hot garbage anime of 2017? Uh, King's Game? King's Game, yeah. Now, they're bad for different reasons, and I, based on what you said, it's kind of a toss-up which would be more interesting to watch and riff. But, so let's talk about... We're end up doing both of them, so, like, fuck it. <laughs> so let's talk about Vatican Miracle Examiners. So this is supposedly, and I have to emphasize that, supposedly, a essentially police procedural mystery series featuring Catholic priests who investigate miracles. Dun-dun. Which, okay, from Japan's perspective, could either be bad or good, but you don't know from the first episode it's hard to tell oh man um the studio that made this made fucking bakuman <laughs> you're not gonna blame them i can bl- you can blame the animation studio for not giving a shit but you can't blame them for this i can't this blame was- them for it but i can't blame them for making it because I'm assuming that the people who made it like like the people in charge like who said like hey let's make this i'm assuming they read it beforehand so they read it and said, yes, let's put time and money into this. I'm not convinced that they did. <laughs> because <laughs> some of the writing decisions, 
in this, I am not convinced could have gotten past even the most not give a shit editor if they knew it was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Alright, so biggest problem with the series, I've only, I haven't watched the entire series, I've watched eight out of the twelve episodes. There is apparently an arc featuring a demonic clown living in the woods of Germany that I haven't gotten to yet. But, um... Oh boy. (laughs) So... Oh, from a, so the series is Damn bad. The guy, what? the guy who voices the main character in this was also in Bakuman. He was Nizumaya Eiji. Okay. Just, oh man, that makes me sad. That fucking fake Ichiro Oda is in this. Because <laughs> that's for those who don't know. It the rumor going around was that Nizumaya Eiji from fucking Bakuman was. Inspired by and partially based on Deja Oda. The weird screaming crow boy. Yeah. Okay, so. Which I just call bullshit on because Nizuma Eiji was not nearly in the hospital enough to be Deja Oda. <laughs> he seemed to have too many other things to do to Deja Oda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he ended a series. I have to pay my rent. No, right. <laughs> Yeah, and like it's also a bit bullshit because Eiji ended a series. Yeah. Alright, so Okay, so the whole series is bad. That's beyond debate at this point. Yeah. The problem I'm seeing with it as a bad show is I'm afraid that in terms of peak badness, it may have peaked at episode four. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah. Like the other stuff is bad too. But nothing has had me laughing in stitches as much as the reveal of what the what is going on at the end of episode four. Yeah, that's a now, problem. If, that's that's something you gotta be wary of when getting into when getting into like bad anime. Yeah, there's usually a point where it peaks, and then after that, you're not wa- you're not like watching an anime to see what happens next, or or like watching like you're not watching it like you would watch a bad anime to see what stupid shit they do next. You're just kind of. It was like, oh, well, it's already peaked. So then you're just kind of watching it out of, like, almost duty at that point. Yeah. All right. So I can, I, before we get into um, – I, I have to talk spoilers about this just because That's fine. I've, I've, held some, I've held some stuff back from Dead Man just to talk about this. I just, just, just a list of problems with this show basically to talk about first. <laughs> One um, – Okay. Okay. This is a problem that persisted that I don't think was present in the first four episodes, but that became apparent in the later episodes. They apparently ran out of money to draw backgrounds <laughs> because they essentially drew a generic squiggly line color splotch, essentially, and used that for the sky. And whenever they needed to adjust for like sunrise or sunset, they do just color palette swap. That's always fun. Yeah. Um, the voice actors are wooden and boring to go along with the writing of their non-existent characters. There is the sciency one who has a brother who has a who is who is in a wheelchair who he who the the priest fears is somehow possessed by the devil. It's actually kind of surprising, like given some of the people I'm like looking up in this because. Like there are people in here who are like really fucking good. 
Yeah, I think it's just they can't save this writing. Yeah, like ba- other- like like looking at it. So main guy is fucking Nizumi from uh, Bakemon. Uh, his partner is Victor from fucking Yuri on Ice. Okay. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna look at more of these. <sighs> All right. So, well, so there's the problems. Um. I don't know if this is a cool stylistic choice or the laziest thing ever. Their idea of having an opening is mostly static images, except for they might have paid someone for their home video footage of running through the Capitol, not through the Vatican, and just use that as like a background for the characters to walk in front of. <laughs> so it's like real obvious that that this is like, hey, we just took a picture. No, not th- they took video. It's not pictures. It's they took video, but it's just like okay, so video the, playing so, in the back. So they so they took the time to put to pull up their phone and set the slider from picture to video. Basically, yes. Well, good to see they put the effort in. Yeah, and the same thing happens over the ending, and the ending is also hilariously lazy because this is both a problem with the series itself and with the ending. The series never shuts the hell up. <laughs> Okay. And what when I say that what I most what I usually mean when I say that is that the dialogue and I hate these characters and I want them to shut up because they're irritating. In this case, it's just that I think the longest pause without dialogue or someone reacting to something is 10 seconds. Okay. And the way that plays out in the ending is that at the end of every ending sequence of every episode, they have they they just have the two main characters sitting on a on in the, I don't know like a glass plane looking at the stars, uh, talking to each other about what's going to happen in the next episode. I mean, like that happens in a lot of things. But I mean, like they don't animate images of it. They just like it's just. A static image of two characters sitting there, not even looking at us, and they're just voiceover saying what's going to happen in the next episode. Huh. Yeah, they didn't like animate it any. They didn't like separate it from the ending sequence at all. It's just clipped at the very end. And huh. it's it's even it's even worse in the in the main episodes themselves because instead of um, actually writing, okay, so. The first mystery is where the two main characters are called to a to a to a uh, Catholic uh, monastery slash uh, school to investigate a potentially virgin birth as a miracle, essentially. Okay. And they have like all this advanced scientific equipment, all these like texts that they're investigating to like go with myths and whatnot, because that's the dynamic of the two main characters. The one with the Japanese sounding name is the sciencey one. The one with the more Western sounding name is the texty one. Who like does all the library type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um so from there, instead of building a mystery and trying to give small clues to figure out what's going on um, 
the main character, the writer of the series just throws twist after twist and unrelated character and un- after unrelated character into the thing to simulate that stuff is going on. <laughs> yeah. The, the fuck man. Yeah. Like as a sign of that, the fact that priests are getting their children addicted to drugs and then diddling them is a random one-off in one episode. Christ. Yeah. And it also has one of the most unintentionally hilarious lines of it, where one of the two main characters says, who would have thought a priest would diddle little boys? Like, I don't know when this was written, but you can't be that out of the loop, can you? Okay, so... The light novel that the series is based on was re- began re- began being written in two thousand seven. Yeah, so <laughs> so yeah. Unless the writer is like drinking paint, he knows. Yeah, and and throwing that kind of thing in as like a random one off plot point would bother me if not for the ultimate reveal of what's going on, which I'll get to in a second. But I wanted to list some of the other weird random one off shit that happens, like um. There's a there's a statue of Virgin Mary randomly is crying during a, after one of the uh, priests is murdered and they reveal it in, during church during service. Um, in one of the episodes, one of the kids who works there who is like enrolled at the school is found with like blood coming out of his hands and floating, like something called stigmata. Apparently, yeah, stigmata. That's a thing. Um, what else is there? Um, the head priest who was the guy who founded this church has been mummified and set up in a shrine in his office. Uh, <laughs> and, um, the but, Vatican oh, found a, a random bit of, uh, like a a pat a note or something that said R I C H on it, so the texty one was like, "Hmm, what does this mean? <laughs> it could be riches or was it a dude's and name?" It, yeah, it's it's half of Heinrich. Oh, okay. I thought it was gonna be like I thought it was gonna be some other name. But anyway, so I look at this. So there have been two manga adaptations of the series. The first okay. one uh, ran for exactly one year. <laughs> it started in Jan- it started on January twenty fourth two thousand twelve and ended January twenty fourth two thousand thirteen, and it was a Satan series. And then there was a second series from a different publisher in a different magazine that was a shojo series. I can believe both. Saint, the Satan one just for the level of content involved because some of the topics they talk about in this you would not include in a shonen series. And I can believe the shoujo thing because it is very obvious that the two main priests are gay for each other. <laughs> like a scene, another like a scene from the episodes that they show during the ending credits is the uh, Japanese one's name, the one with the Japanese sounding name, praising the one with the Western sounding name for his cooking and how much he loves eating whatever he makes. And then there's the bit where when he learns more about his past, he's like, now I've just come to like you even more. But, like, they never do anything with it. It's just there, like, kind of lingering in the background. 
And it's even more hilarious because uh, the Japanese-sounding one has a tech support in the form of a terrorist who was caught by the Vatican and put under the care of the Japanese-sounding one for rehabilitation, who I think is also gay for him because he gets upset when the Japanese one talks about how much he loves working with his partner. What? <laughs> it doesn't come to anything. It's just lingering in the background as a ignored side thing. <laughs> <sighs> Fucking Christ. Yeah. Also, uh, it's a, it's supposed to be mostly non, like believable, non-supernatural shit. But then there's a random one-off episode where, the Japanese one tells his uh, hacker friend a fable of a guy who, who, from his perspective, his dad disappeared after saying, I am Azazel, Lord, one of the lords of hell. I've given you the ability to wish for anything you want secretly or openly, and then disappears just randomly. And from his perspective, this ability is a curse because he thinks that when a serial killer in a Santa suit shows up at his door and he says, go away. The Santa got the Santa serial killer goes away and kills his next door neighbors. So he's under the assumption that this is his fault. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? And that's not even the dumbest part of that episode. Of course it fucking isn't. Yeah. In the same episode, um, the mom, thinking that this is true, orders her son to never wish for anything again, to the point where when the son gets into college, she said, you wished for this, didn't you? You wanted to go to college. You wanted this. He's like, no, no. And then she... Come on, don't lie to me. I know you can't get to college, you fucking dumbass. (laughs) And then, like, in a moment of, like, brief anger at his mom treating him like this, he says, I wish that you weren't around anymore, and she literally drops dead in front of him like she was struck by a death note. Oh my god! And then, I can't wait to watch this. I, no, I haven't. I, I've, this is after the peak episode. I'm just. <laughs> I haven't told you the best part yet. If I'm this is after the peak. Then what the fuck is the peak? I'll tell you. I want to be build up to that because there's also the points I was telling you about after that. Because okay, so the rest of that episode, um, after a time of and also. Uh, the child being upset that he might have murdered his mom prays that, oh, mom, I want you back. At which point mom then wakes up and suddenly is much more supportive and loving of his mom, of his, of her son, but just wants like all kinds of like wealth and fancy type stuff and has abandoned her religion or something. Oh no. (laughs) My mom's back and she's better, but she's not a Christian anymore. This must be the work of Satan. That's that's what's going on in his head, which is why he and when his mom starts asking for stuff, he's like, "No, I won't wish for riches to make my mom happy. I'll just work super hard for them." <laughs> I assumed and, and, he would try to murder his mom again. No, no, she, he just let her live out her life and die of natural causes again. After about, I revived years. my mom with demon magic. Better let her, better keep her around. Until he then decides he will live alone until he randomly meets 
a woman at the aquarium that he visits one day and falls in love with her. And so after visiting the same, her, her event at the aquarium for months, she eventually comes up and talks to him on a day when the events closed, they fall in love and plan to get married. And at the, at like, of course, like any town that a small town, if, if a couple goes to the same place long enough, their, their local dive, the restaurateur knows them very well. It's like, yeah, you're marrying this woman. Right. And so he asked, so he asks about this woman, like, like who are her parents? Where did she come from? And he can't answer any of those questions. Like, not like he doesn't remember. It's like, he physically doesn't know anyone who knows the answer to that. So he then asks her and she doesn't know. So it turns out that he wished for someone to love and it created this woman. And so once he figures this out, he's like, I will you into being, so I can't bring myself to love a golem that I created. So at which point she crusts up into like a clay doll and disintegrates at which point he's depressed for a while until he realizes it doesn't matter that I willed you into being, I still truly love you. At which point she's back and they're just married and happy for the rest of their lives. And does she remember the fact that the second he was like, Hey, you're not real. She crumbled into dust. Yeah. I feel like that might put a hamper on their relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well, along the same token, um, there's apparently no indication that any of this is supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the at the end of this story, uh, the hacker who's listening to this obviously asks, "So, do you think this was a miracle?" I confirmed li- that literally everything you just told me in bits and pieces happened, and the priest just goes, "Eh." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like my dad said, he was a zazel, and then I could fucking will beings into existence. But I don't know. It might be just like a cool computer chip. <laughs> I think I had an app for that. Oh, yeah. And I was telling you bits and pieces of the story after this, which is lamer than either of the previous two, because you can see the twist coming immediately. Cause the whole thing is like a prophet is predicting events that happen with what sounds like disturbing accuracy until you look at what he actually says. And are like, wait a minute. He didn't actually mention any, exact details about anything he said. So it's like a fortune teller. You could just intuit a correct answer. It's like, is this what you meant? And you'd be like, yeah, let's go with that. He's cold reading nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, it also has a made-up African religion called Kakuma that is practiced by people in this made-up African country of Safuma. I think because Kakuma was James Earl Jones's character name from Exorcist 2. Maybe. And if that's the case, I just considering how ridiculous everything else about this native African religion was, I just wanted someone to just start going Pazuzu, Pazuzu, Pazuzu. <laughs> yeah, they're just the leader of the tribe wearing a locust head roars like a fucking actually, lion. Someone actually is wearing a locust head in one of these. They just aren't roaring like a lion. This is straight up Exorcist 2, man. <laughs> yeah. Is there a hypnosis machine to keep fucking demons from massaging people's hearts? Uh, no, but there's like a snake venom, which takes you to hell. Christ, man. And also the bit, I, I, the last thing I texted you, which is one of those things that's like, when it's revealed that 
the reason they were brought down here is that uh, the priest who was supposedly a prophet when he died, his body never decayed. And their their non their non supernatural explanation for why this happened is oh he was injecting himself with a microbe found in monkey blood which slowly turns blood into rubber, and so when that happens you die but your body is preserved. <laughs> you know that rubber monkey blood. <laughs> what the ass? Oh my god! Like, and that's not even including the the vi- the visions that the that the texty priest has after he's bitten by a black mamba. At which point he meets uh the a snake demon who is Hell's judge, who just looks like Barney the snake demon. Did the guy was the guy who wrote this sniffing paint? Like you this is like so. Him. This is like this is like this fucking dude. Like fucking did whippets and read a Dan Brown book. I was like, I can do better than this. <laughs> it certainly sounds like it. Christ. Uh, all right. So I've beat around the bush long enough. I guess we should mention the point where the series peaks. At episode least, four. My knowledge. Episode four. So, so, back, so before you get so into it, a, I have the I have the one line description for this episode. Okay. I want to read this beforehand to prime the pump. <laughs> so, Joseph and Nicholas have finally discovered the truth about the supposed immaculate conception, which lies in the final days of World War Two, when when from the axes if when from the ashes. Of a dying Third Reich, someone was supposed was already spreading the seeds for the birth of a fourth one. <laughs> you know, Nazis. Yeah. With the episode title being "Even So, I Still Believe in the Lord God." <laughs> Let's hear it. Oh. Okay. So. In 1945, Heinrich Müller, the head of of um, Hitler's Gestapo, um, fled Germany in a when a uh, zeppelin that was never accounted for uh, and landed in Mexico, which was which was mistaken for a UFO sighting. <laughs> On board, said uh, Zeppelin, is a group of Hitler youth and Hitler's frozen body kept alive by freezing it. Yep. Yep. This group of of Nazis um, created a uh, Catholic monastery to hide their drug and mind control experiments so that they could collect orphans and breed new Nazi youths to create a Fourth Reich, led by um, their leader Hitler, who would be reincarnated by giving birth by having him his his frozen semen artificially inseminated into a perfect woman. Said perfect woman 
the first result, the first pregnancy didn't go well, which resulted in a stillborn, double-headed demon baby. <sighs> and that ended badly. Uh, so they tried again. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd assume. And the second child uh, was born normally, but had a split personality where he thought he actually was Hitler as well as another person. Well, I mean, and split personality person, aside, that's what he wanted, right? Yeah. And this other person worshipped um, the dead, double-headed demon baby's corpse as the god of judgment, two-headed Janus. Wait, they kept it? Yes. Why? As a symbol of the Reich. They have symbols. <laughs> also, why would the fucking people who are all about genetic perfection have a two-headed fuck baby? Because they also bought because they bought into a whole bunch of other witchcraft and shit because they think that Hitler was also like the god Janus or um, Christ's uh, new savior on earth. Like I know, I know Nazis are stupid, but like, fuck. Yeah, and um, they've converted the entire. Uh, they've been slowly brainwashing um, all of the kids in this school with a combination of drugs and image and uh, and like the essentially the loud guy treatment from season two of uh, Airbender. Uh, <sighs> if you if you remember what I'm talking about, I uh, was that the fucking. The, the royal guard in the Earth Kingdom who were like, you want to... Yeah, Bossing Se? Yeah. He's like, there is no... Like, just a candle going around a track. There is no war outside the walls. Yeah. Everything is fine. Your name is Julie. Yeah. And so they... In the last episode, when the priests find the cavernous Castlevania-style Nazi dungeon underneath the church, um, the... The priest who is thinks he is also Hitler uh, uses a special signal to t- broadcast throughout the church to turn all of them into zombie, all of them into mindless zombies that will kill on his command. <sighs> the priests um, ultimately defeat um, cloned devil baby of Hitler by. Um, Faking an exorcism. <laughs> like the priest has the like they he the priest has this thing where he starts doing the procedure for like an exorcism and he has this thing of holy holy water that he's threatening to douse the child who thinks he's Hitler in because he thinks you're he's possessed by the instead he's possessed by the devil, which uh, Hitler clone says, "I am not possessed by the devil. I am the son. I am the son of God. I am his savior." So he expects nothing to happen when the priest splashes him with holy water, and then his whole body just starts burning because the priest, instead of using holy water, used sulfuric acid. <laughs> Oh God! (laughs) 
church starts. <laughs> and then the church starts blowing up because it turns out in the background of all the Vatican's special ops unit have been setting up bombs and collecting intel to make sure all of the Nazis are destroyed at this camp. Yeah, Anderson's out there just cutting dudes up. Yeah, to the point where and they don't show this all that well, except for like they kind of briefly set up that two of the priests we met earlier who were murdered were spies sent by the black ops unit. And, to, and it just randomly shown like packs of C4 suddenly exploding. I'm like, wait, where did those come from? <laughs> yeah. And so it turns out that the, of course, Immaculate Conception was the attempt to make another generation beyond the currently mostly kind of non-functional Hitler that I was talking about before. And so the priests asked the question of the black of the spec ops Vatican unit. So are you going to let the woman who has been artificially inseminated by the Nazis live? And to which they all are like, uh, we considered killing her, but like just because she was inseminated with the semen of Hitler doesn't mean that the child will grow up to be evil. <sighs> also what immaculate conception Every fucking thing we've talked about, you've talked about so far for this has been they took semen and put it in a person. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, remember how I said it earlier before I started talking about these spoilers that instead of developing a mystery and laying out clues and potential suspects, they just keep running to plot twist to plot twist to distract you? Yeah. They mostly forget about the Immaculate Conception until the end of Episode 4, and they brought it up in Episode 1. <laughs> oh, God. Like, they mentioned briefly that there is the potential for her to have been artificially inseminated in the first episode, but they don't follow up on it until that. <sighs> Fuck. And so that all, and also there was a conspiracy that these Nazis had also used their drug money in Mexico to build up money that they invested through a Vatican bank to influence the potential, the potential next Pope through dirty money influence. Cause sure. <laughs> it's fucking, fucking God, Jesus Christ. All's well that ends well. <sighs> the end. So that was Vatican Miracle Examiners. Yeah, coming soon. I'm actually, I'm actually tired just explaining it. Yeah, dude, coming soon. <laughs> Fuck Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Those are probably watching reading that on the news. I almost wanted to see how much longer you would drag out a reaction to that. You just seemed like shell shock. At this point, I'm becoming a bit numb to it where I can't, like, where I don't think I can, like, actually be made to stop shows anymore. <laughs> I've inundated you. Yeah, like, I'm like I'm essentially building up a resistance, like, getting these things secondhand. It's like fucking vaccinations. <laughs> Just, I'm getting a weaker, dis- I'm getting, a, like, a weaker, diluted version of what the thing is, so I'm building up a tolerance to it. Yeah. I was lucky that when I first watched the episode four, 
I was alone in my house and there was no one for miles in any direction so that I could cackle like a hyena for like what must have been 20 minutes because I had no other reaction to that. Like when I first watched the first three episodes, I was working out at the gym and I had to resist the urge to just cackle out loud because people would think I was a lunatic. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, uh, just, I mean, I know you're kind of numb to it, but just like initial reactions. Do you think this, from what I've described that this is worse than King's game? No. Okay. I think... So, King's Game is bad. But, more importantly, it's also kind of boring. Okay. This, from the sounds of it, can't be as bad because it is at least interesting. It can't be as bad as King's Game because with this, there is stuff you can talk about. Like even even after its peak, you're still like talking about shit that sounds fucking insane. With King's Game. Yeah. And again, I haven't finished the series yet. With King's Game, it has moments of like fucking insanity. But end of the day, it's still just kind of a bad, boring series. Okay. Yeah, so I think just by sheer nature of the fact that you can find multiple things to say, yo, fucking check this shit, dog. <laughs> there's there's more of a train wrecky quality to that. Yeah. To King's Game. Yeah, like like with fucking with uh with Vatic with with like Vatican whatever. Uh, it sounds like a train wreck, but the train was carrying fireworks. King's game is just a regular train wreck where occasionally get like some like sparks or whatever, but that's about it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, like I said, news. So, Shonen Jump, Shonen Jump is going to be launching three new manga uh, this March, this month. Uh, two of them from relative unknowns, and one of them from somebody we just talked about. So, uh, first up is a series called. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, or Sorcery Fight. Uh, it'll be it'll be premiering in the next issue, um, which comes out on March fifth. Uh, from writer and artist Gigi Akutami, whose only previous published work was a one shot as part of the Gold Future Cup in 2016. I also got a series uh, called Ziga. Uh, based on an original story from writer Rokuro Sano, with the manga being done by somebody named Kintaro Hidano, who has only worked on a one-shot published in 2010 in Shonen Jump and a two-chapter thing for a Shonen Jump manga. For Sorry, for a Shonen Jump app. Uh, that'll be coming out on March 19th in the 16th issue of the, of the book, and then on March 12th, there'll be a new series from... Haruto Ikizawa, the maker of Kuragane and Mononofu. It'll be called Noah's Notes, and hopefully this one will last more than 20 chapters. Then if if it passes that, maybe more than 70. 
So yeah, all is coming out this month. And then later this year, for a nice piece of news, we're going to be getting an anime adaptation of Goblin Slayer. Yay. Please let that be from a shit studio. It's from White Fox, the makers of ReZero. Okay, so that it, it, the production values will hopefully not be shit. <laughs> yeah, and it'll, be, and it'll be featuring the same voice cast as as appeared in the drama CD adaptation. I was not familiar with that, but okay. Nor am I, but fuck it. It means they have voice actors. Yeah, I assume the drama tape thing is like an audio book reading and like acting out of the... Essentially, yeah. Yeah, it's essentially... essentially, Drama CDs are essentially radio plays for the books. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of coming out uh, this year. Which I'm... Please don't edit it. Please don't edit it. Please don't edit it. Half the fun of that series is the racy content, aside from the characters, so I don't want them to edit it. Given what was in ReZero, I'm going to assume they won't. I hope so. Because, like, this is a series that you kind of can't water down. No, I don't think so. And, like, like, this is a fucking dark fantasy, so anybody going into this expects the horrible shit. They expect Goblin Slayer to fucking stick a knife in the throat of a fucking poisoned witch in the first episode. Oh, God, Goblin Slayer is so fucking good. Yeah. Best fucking D&D story ever written. Because that's what tech, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, anyway... That's good for this week. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back when we're back with another one of these fuckers. Yeah. I'm sorry that next episode will probably not top this week's discussion. <laughs> yeah. Until uh, then, though, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. And we will see you guys next time.